Acts chapter 9. We've been on a series in the book of Acts, taking it a verse at a time, um, the beginnings of the church and seeing what the Lord would teach us in that. So Acts chapter 9 and verse 19 is where we'll start. And I'll read that and then pray over the word as we receive it this morning. Uh oh, somebody got left behind. They'll be all right. Acts 9 and verse 19, latter part of verse 19, it says, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. Amen. Father, thank you for your word as we receive it today. Lord, open our eyes to the wonders of it. Incline our ear to what you would say and soften our heart to receive from you uh, as we as we can only receive from you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you translate to each heart what we need today. Give us today our daily bread in Jesus name. Amen. So last week we learned more about Saul. Saul was there at the stoning of Stephen, uh, the first Christian martyr, right? Brought about a proliferation, everybody leaving Jerusalem, scattering to the winds and causing the gospel to be furthered. And Saul was wreaking havoc on the church in Jerusalem, going into houses, dragging people out who were of the way, who were followers of Jesus and throwing them into prison. So he's ripping families apart. He is ravaging the church. And again, that word was like an animal pulling meat off of a bone. And then it follows up saying he had done so much of that in Jerusalem. He wanted to take his show on the road. He knew people had left from Jerusalem and fled we're still following Jesus, still proclaiming Jesus. And he wanted letters from the chief priests in Jerusalem to be able to go to the synagogues in Damascus, 150 miles away and do the same thing there. And while he was on the way, when he was almost to Damascus, a bright light lit up the sky, knocked him down to the ground. And he heard this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Lord. And he said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Go into the city and wait and you'll be told what to do next. So his world has been turned upside down. He's been faced with the Jesus who he has been persecuting by persecuting his church. And he goes into the city. He had to be led in because he couldn't see. He was blind. After he saw the light, he couldn't see anything else. Led into the city at a home there on a street called Straight. And then the Lord spoke to a man named Ananias and said, there's a guy named Saul who's praying. And I want you to go and pray for him that he might be healed. And Ananias said, isn't this the same one who, came, who was coming here to, to imprison people like me? And the Lord said, yeah, that's, that's him. Go, 
Go and do what I've asked you to do because he will be my chosen instrument to preach the good news, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to kings and to the nation of Israel. So Ananias goes and he lays hands on Saul and he prays for him and something like scales fell off of his eyes and he was baptized into the family of Jesus Christ. And then he immediately begins preaching. And that's where we pick up today. I really want us to get a good view of who Saul is because he's going to play a pretty big part coming up in the book of Acts. So he's there with the disciples and he begins proclaiming in the synagogues where all the Jews would get together the name of Jesus and that Jesus is the son of God. Now, there were some then that had the same questions that Ananias had said, isn't this the same one who was coming here to persecute people who believe on this name? And now here he is preaching in the name of Jesus. And he would he grew in strength and in wisdom on the things of the kingdom. And he was able to confound even the educated there amongst them. Proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And so then with all that going on, they're now conspiring to kill him. They're conspiring to kill him. And as I was going through this passage and just chewing on it and spending time in it this week, uh, asking the Lord what what we can take out of it today. He led me to some questions. And the first question was, why is Saul preaching Jesus? Why is he in the synagogue every day preaching Jesus? What is his motivation for doing that? Because obviously he's running into some opposition. They wanted to kill him. It, It doesn't really say that anybody other than Ananias was nice to him. Obviously, there were some people that were, but he's not getting a lot of help there in the community This isn't being welcomed by very many, if any, people at all. So why is he preaching Jesus in the synagogues in Damascus? Why not just say, bless the name of the Lord and go back home? Why didn't he just say, bless the name of the Lord and go back home? Why is he dealing with all of this opposition that's coming from the preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God? Of God, because we talked about that. Whenever the gospel goes forth, there's opposition because there's either repentance or resistance, one or the other. And he's encountering a whole lot of resistance. Why is he preaching? What we see is that he has a zeal. And we talked about that a little bit last week. He is zealous now for the name of Jesus. He was previously zealous to persecute the name of Jesus. And when he was saved, redeemed, and reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. God took that zeal and that energy that he had pointed the wrong way and he pointed it the right way. God turned it the right way. How many of you know stubborn, zealous, we kind of don't know how to use that word. Stubborn, we know how to use. We know what that means. There can be uh, bad ways to be stubborn, right? There can also be good things to be stubborn about if it's something you need to stay in a certain point. No, I need to hang on to this. I don't need to let go of this. I don't need to be talked out of this. I need to be a little bit stubborn when it comes to this. And so you see God took what was in him and turned it the right way. So we can see that he's got some zeal there. That's one of the reasons I guess he's able to endure this. He's able to be steadfast through opposition. 
But then the second thing we see is that he had scales fall off of his eyes. He had an encounter with Jesus. And in those subsequent days, he, he would talk about later the revelation that he received about Jesus Christ, our Lord, who he is and what he has done. And once he saw that, he couldn't unsee it. It revealed something to him that changed him. And he would say later he would write about it. In the book of uh, Romans, in chapter 1, I'm going to read it real quick. Romans chapter 1 and verse 13, he, he tells the church there at Rome, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, and that in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had amongst the rest of the Gentiles. Verse 14 is what I wanted to get to. I am obligated... Both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He says, I'm obligated to who? To everybody. Greeks and barbarians, wise and foolish, folks that know a lot and folks that don't know a lot, folks that are from over here and folks that are from over there. He said, I'm obligated to everyone to share this gospel and I'm eager, eager. Why? Because he knows that the message will bear fruit. He said, I want to come and preach this among you because I know it'll bear fruit among you just like it has everywhere else that it's gone Forth. Look what he said in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He said, I'm not ashamed of this message. I'm going to keep sharing this message. Why? Because it is powerful. He's like, I don't have to be ashamed of it. It is the power of God to save all those who would believe. And now some treated it like it was something to be ashamed of. But he said, I'm eager to share it with you because I know there's power behind it. This is God's righteous work amongst the people. He preaches it because he knows it has power. He experienced it. He's seen it in his life and in the lives of others. And again, who does he say he's obligated to? To everybody. He said, I'm going to take it to the Greeks and to the barbarians. I'm going to take it to the wise and to the foolish. And one quick thing we can learn in there is he didn't say, I'm, I'm called to the Greeks and to those who aren't Greek to make them act like Greeks. You see that? He didn't say, I'm coming to preach to make everybody a Greek. What's he coming to do to make everybody be a disciple of Jesus? You may not become like the Greeks, but you can become like Jesus, we don't need to get it mixed up. That's a little side note. He preaches it because of the power that he has seen. And he said, it's, I'm obligated to everybody. The gospel compels the same heart that it redeems. It compels the same heart that it redeems. You can see it redeemed Saul and it realigned his zeal. Because what did we learn of the two greatest commandments? 
The two greatest ones are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And those have been input, downloaded into him and are in operation through him. He's fallen in love with Jesus and that has led him to love all those he comes, comes into contact with. So that what he, what he wants to do most is share with them the message of power that changed his life, that will change their lives too. Why is he preaching? He can't not do it. He can't not do it. I don't even know if that's proper English, but that's what I'm going to say. Why is he preaching? Because he can't not. He's been compelled because he's seen too much at this point, even though he's resisted at each turn. So that's why he's preaching. How is he preaching? He's or, or as we would say now, sharing his faith with others. <laughs> Same thing. He's sharing his faith. How is he preaching? And there's two pieces here that I want to focus on because I believe it balanced him and it balances us. And I saw these two principles or was it was brought to my attention in a book that I read called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, I don't want you to think that's a flex because it took me a year and a half to read that book. And I don't think that's very effective. Uh, but I did learn a few things in there and it talked about the balance of being courageous and considerate. Of being courageous and you could also say compassionate because we need and I see that in Paul and the Lord brought that to my remembrance as I was uh, studying this this week that, that we need courage to live the gospel, to preach the gospel. But we also need consideration and compassion, courage in proclaiming. And getting stronger day after day, you see that in, uh, and I'll, I'll switch back and forth. Y'all know we're between Saul and Paul here, and we'll get to that later, uh, why he has two names. But courage, proclaiming, getting stronger day by day, and then later you would see uh, boldness in spite of how... Um, uh, strange things were going in, in spite of questions and oppositions that were coming up, holding fast to the revelation that he had received from Christ. There was a courage and a boldness that was for him to keep putting himself out there. And he had to have that. We saw the disciples pray for boldness in Acts chapter four, that they could stand against opposition. They asked for courage and then Saul shows up with a pocket full of it in chapter nine because he's preaching to people who know him and know his past. He's preaching to people who know what he came for originally and that have seen him change. He knows that his uh, character is going to come into question. He knows that his history is going to come into question. And yet he's preaching Jesus anyway. So you see courage to stand up to opposition, courage to stand up to people lying about them, courage to stand up to intimidation and the arguments that would come. So the courage level is high and that's awesome, right? We have to have that. But if all they had was courage, then they wouldn't be, if all they had was courage, then they would be awful. If all you have is the courage piece and the boldness piece, you're going to be awful to people. You have to have courage and you have to have compassion. You can have, should have, must have both courage and compassion. Again, how was he preaching with courage and compassion? We, we think of it as an either or that it has to be either or, but, it, but it's a both and. 
because they can not only, not only can they exist together, but they balance and enhance one another. You have to be courageous and nice. You have to be confident and empathetic. You have to be brave and sensitive to the person that's right on the other side of you. If you're high on courage and low on compassion, how will you think? Like a bulldozer, right? You're just going to push everything. I've got to get from here to here. I've got to get this done. I'm going to push through. Doesn't matter who gets in the way. Doesn't matter whose body gets left behind. I am pushing through. You're going to feel like a bulldozer. If you're high on compassion and consideration and low on courage, then you'll just lay down all your convictions. You'll lay down everything just to not offend somebody. Just just to preserve somebody else. So low on courage, high on compassion, not good. High on courage, low on compassion, also not good. If you're low on both, it may be the worst of all. Because you'll just be a complete shell of a person walking in apathy. I don't care. I don't care about them. I don't care about anything. And misery. Because we're meant to do something. And if you're low on both, you're doing nothing. You got no courage to push forward. You got no compassion to reach out. You're doing nothing. Now, if, you, if, if you're high on both, if you're high on truth and compassion, just truth uncompromising to real people with souls and desires and histories, understanding that people are complex, but that the truth is the truth when you're high on both. It completely changes lives. The other place that I saw this in another book, and again, not trying to flex because it takes me a little while to read these, was by uh, Andy Crouch. He had a little two by two that he would do a little grid there. And one of the axes was authority and the other was vulnerability. And he said, you only reach flourishing and maturity in the Christian life when you're high on authority, ability, power. Think about those things and in vulnerability that you're willing to lay yourself low, that you're willing to be humble, that you're willing to risk things in this life for the cause and for others. He said, only then do you reach flourishing right when you're high on this one and high on this one. You get to this point in the two by two. He said, if you're low on authority or the other word was courage, if you're low on courage and high on vulnerability, then you'll end up just walking in suffering because you can't do anything to stop it. You can't do anything to stop it. If you're low on courage and you're low on consideration and compassion, if you're low on both then you, you get to be that shell of a person where you just withdraw from everything. It's like, I can't do anything. I don't care anything about anybody. I'm just withdrawing from everything. Right? If you're high on courage and low on consideration, then you end up uh, taking advantage of people because they're just a means to get things done. If I'm courageous, but I'm not considerate and I'm low on that, then, then I take advantage and, and I manipulate. And I, I, I use people to get to where I need to get. But again, if you're high on courage and high on compassion, you're high on uh, authority and power, you, you know you can get some stuff done and you're also high on willing to lay yourself out to do it. 
then that reaches true flourishing, not just for you, but for everybody that you bring in close to you. Okay. And that is how Saul was preaching. Why was he preaching? Because he could not. And how was he preaching with courage and compassion? It wasn't just to prove these other people wrong. It was to see them converted to Christ. Amen. It was with love and compassion, but not compromising the truth. So that's why he was preaching. That's how he was preaching. Now let's talk about the results for a minute. What was the result of his preaching? Not good, right? I look through there and in those verses, I don't see anything good. He was preaching and what did they want to do? Kill him. That's about as bad as it can go, right? I mean, I've had people disagree with something I said or have a question about something I said, maybe even get mad about something I said. But I've never had anybody say, I want to kill you. That's about as bad as it can go. He's preaching. He should be right. And he's doing it the right way. And look what's happening. People are just getting mad at him. People want to kill him. And now, was that the only result? I don't know. But that's the only one it talks about right here. That's the only one it talks about. Right here, people wanted to kill him, which seems like the worst. And he would write about this effect later in the book of Second Corinthians. And I know this is jumping around a little bit more than I normally would, but I think it's really cool since we can go to what his words were later on some of these same topics. Second Corinthians chapter two and verse starting in verse 14 he says, and we quoted this last week, but thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads or diffuses the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Thanks be to God who leads us into triumph in Christ Jesus and who uses us to diffuse his knowledge, to, to spread it all, all, everywhere that we go in every place. Verse 15, for to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. This aroma we're spreading, God likes the way that it smells. Verse 16, to some, we are an aroma of death leading to death. He's like, some people, this message, this aroma that's going forth, the knowledge of Christ is going out. They're, they're going to get it in their nose and it's going to smell real bad. They're going to hate it. They're not going to like it at all. But to others, it's an aroma of life leading to life. This same smell is going to smell different to different people. He's using that as an example because that's something that we can understand. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? He's like, who in the world can handle something like this? A message that goes out and some people uh, uh, immediately receive it and are changed by it, transformed by it. And others want to kill you when you preach it. He said, how, how, who's adequate to, to handle a message like this? Who is adequate to do this? He's like, we don't market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. He said, the way that you do, who's adequate for these things? He said, all I can tell you is we speak sincerely about Christ as we're speaking to God. And as we're speaking, we keep diffusing the knowledge of Christ into every place. And you see that from him. He went to Damascus breathing threats and murder against the church. 
He changed from that, speaking death, to speaking life in Jesus Christ. And some still heard death. Some in his message as he's preaching Christ, as he's preaching life, still heard death. Some will receive life leading to life. Others won't. Death leading to death. Some it's going to be death leading to death for a while until something changes. And he's saying that's why we keep putting it out there because somebody's going to show up. Somebody's going to receive. It, you may go through long periods where you're just to other people. You smell like death leading to death. But he's saying keep on sincerely as to God and as it's from God. Because somebody's going to receive. And that's why he did not quit. He's like, I'm obligated to all. All aren't going to receive me. I'm, I'm obligated to preach this message everywhere. Not everybody's going to receive it. Some are going to think that I stink. Some are going to think that I stink, but not everybody. Not everybody will. And again, he says, who is adequate for these things? Keep on keeping on. Sincerely, as from God and to God. And you would think he would have been perfect to preach to this group of people. You would have thought he would have been the excellent choice to preach to this group of people. If we were taking resumes on who was going to teach Jesus in the synagogue, his would have been at the top of the list. Why? Because he's from them. He knows them. He's been in the law. He, he, he could give you his whole history and go, I was right in there with them. But then Jesus saved me. I, I, I fit both spots. This is going to be awesome, except it wasn't. It wasn't. It makes sense to us. It probably even made sense to him. He probably couldn't figure out why are y'all not listening to me? Why are y'all not receiving me? He would have been perfect to go and preach to the Jews. What did God say? He's going to go to the Gentiles first. Wait a second. So the one that knows all about Judaism, you're going to send him to the people that don't know anything about Judaism? Yep. Yep. That doesn't make sense, Lord. It doesn't have to make sense to you. It doesn't have to make sense to you. See, we have an idea of our purpose and our place and our target market, don't we? Well, Lord, if I could just get set up here, if I could just get this started, if I could just do this, then I would be perfect for that. And he's like, don't tell me what you would be perfect for. I'll tell you where I want you to go. I'll tell you where I have decided for you to be. And it won't always make sense to us. It won't always make sense. It didn't make sense to Danny when the Lord told him to start a recovery group. He'll even tell you, he said, I don't know. I didn't know anything about recovery. He said, but I know Jesus and I'll take it to them, too. I don't know what I don't I don't know everything about their context. I'm willing to love on them and I'm willing to I'm willing to commit time and energy to sharing Jesus with them. And the truth of his word. And what's the Lord done? He blessed it. You would not been, your, your resume would have not been high to start a recovery group, would it? Uh-uh. But what it, look what the Lord did. He's like, I'm going to do it. And when I do it, I'm going to bless it. Amen. Amen. We don't need to tell him what we're going to do. We didn't say, say, hey, put me where you want. Because it may not make sense to me. It may not look right to me. It may even seem weird to me that you would call me to this person or this area or this job or this place to go. I feel like I'd be so much better in so many other places. God, he's like, no, I want you right here, 
right now for a purpose. You are my answer in this area to bring the kingdom and to show the love of Christ. Right. We have a lot of ideas. We call them dreams to make them sound more serious, don't we? I've got a dream that I'll be able to do. You know, my dreams would have looked a whole lot different 10 years ago for right now. They just would have. Yours would have to. Did. But look, what, what I'm learning is where I want to be is right where he has me. And as long as I'm right where he has me and I'm not trying to look to, to get somewhere else and to do something. Look, he may he may seasons change. He may move people around. But as long as I am where I am, I'm going to rejoice where I am and go. What? God, it don't always make sense. But you, you just point to where you want me to pour my energy out. You just point to where you want me to give that love out. And I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. It may be to one person. It may be to three people. It may not be to 500. It won't be to 5,000 for, you know, most people. Very few people get to have that type of an impact. But how much more of an impact when you can see it in that person's eyes? We don't need to question him about where he would have us. So we know why he was preaching, how he was preaching. The result, hey, they tried to kill him. <laughs> They tried to kill him. He said, I probably need to leave town. That's probably right. The Lord, I just feel led to leave town right now. They're talking about killing me. Look where he went next. Verse 26, when he arrived in Jerusalem, this is where the church is going on. First church of Jerusalem, rocking. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles, explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So he shows up. He's like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to first church of Jerusalem. If anybody is going to appreciate my testimony, it's going to be the ones at the first church of Jerusalem. And what happened? They were like, that's the killer. He's the killer, right? I mean, I'm not even sure if he is. It's like, what is going on? Thankfully for him, the Lord didn't leave him there alone. He gave him a Barnabas, a son of encouragement. That's what his name is. It's his nickname. He had a real name and they I think it's Joseph. His name was Joseph. We met him back in, I think, Acts chapter four. He was the lead in to Ananias and Sapphira, that crazy event. But Barnabas said, no, 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 no. Just listen to him. Just get to know him. Take some time with him. And they did. And they received him. And then he started preaching the gospel there. And he even did it amongst the Hellenistic Jews. Remember, those are the ones that came from Greece that spoke Greek. They're the ones that Stephen ran headfirst into. And they're the ones that stoned him. And then surprisingly, Saul goes preaching the same gospel that Stephen was preaching. And what do they want to do? They want to kill him. He's like, who is going to receive this message? He keeps getting pushed to different places. Well, the Lord's shutting that door there. I'm like, no, you stink to them. But I've got some people prepared that you're going to smell real good to. You're going to smell real good to us. When the brothers found out that ooh, they were trying to kill him, they're like, well, we don't want you to kill him. So they took him down to Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus. They're like, brother, we're going to send you back to your hometown for a little while. We're going to let this heat die down. 
And he'll be back here in a little bit. He'll be back later in a few more chapters. God is definitely not done with him. And then it gives us a little, Luke gives us a little summary in verse 31. Remember, the church always sounds real good in summary. We just finished reading this part like one was preaching Jesus and they were trying to kill him. Then we go to summary and everything's great. That's our Christian life. In summary, it's great. In the details, we can run into some difficulties. But in summary, overall, it's great. He says, so the church throughout Judea, that's that whole area around Jerusalem, Galilee and Samaria, because we read about how the gospel was going there, had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Amen. It increased in numbers. So even though there's hostility, even though there's opposition, the message is going forth and it is doing what the kingdom does, which is grow and expand and change people's lives and convert people into disciples. Amen. Since even though there's opposition there, look at what was happening. Never forget what was happening. It's a zoom in and zoom out moment. It was like, yeah, there was some tough stuff. Yeah, we could talk about that. But overall, look what God was doing. Look what God was doing. I wanted us to spend some time this morning looking at Saul because we can find a lot for ourselves in there, right? We're not him, but we can learn from God's work in his life. Why he was doing what he was doing. How he was doing what he was doing with courage and compassion. You've got to have that mix. You've got to have them both, because if you only have one or the other or neither, it's not going to be good. Right. He said, I'm obligated. This is about more than me. He said, I've received him because I understand the power of God in this message, that this gospel message about Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. I've got to tell other people about it. He said, I'm obligated to Greeks and barbarians, the wise and the foolish encourage and compassion. Some are going to love it and receive it with gladness and some are going to think it just absolutely stinks like death. And I've got to walk through all of that. Who is adequate for that? Who is adequate for that? Us alone, it'll wear us out. Us alone, it'll wear us out. That's why he said you do it as to God and from God, that it's not about Saul, it's not about you, it's not about me, that it's about him. Some will love it and some will think that it stinks. But at the end of the day, what I'm doing is I'm diffusing the knowledge of Christ into all places, that I'm making sure there's not a corner of the world, there's not a household around that hasn't had exposure to the knowledge of Christ. I love that principle of diffusion. And again, they would have known when he's talking about aromas spreading, they would have understood how that works. But we know how it works, right? I mean, I can stand in the corner over here and spray just a little bit of air freshener. And the next thing you know, they're going to smell it right here. They're going to smell it back there. You can smell it right here. It's going to spread across the room, right? It's just what it does. And now why does it do that? Because those molecules are especially charged, aren't they, with that fragrance? I mean, they are just supercharged with it coming out of that uh, coming out of that dispenser, 
And in every molecule they meet, they try to convert it to smell the same way. That's what they do. Whether with aroma or, or temperatures, just as just as much fun. That's why when you open the door and it's cold outside and warm in here, you feel the rush of air going both ways because that cold air wants to go everywhere. Cold air is not. You open the refrigerator, it just falls out. Why? Because I got to get everywhere where cold air isn't. I'm, I'm charged up to convert every single molecule that I encounter to be like me, to have the same charge that I've been charged with. And that's us in Christ. Except we're not doing it by overtaking. We're, we're taking that aroma. We're taking that charge. We're, we're taking that energy to speak in, in those terms. And again, I'm not a scientist. I, I don't read those books. I could ask a scientist, but they would know more. But I understand those, those basic principles that when we're charged up, we take it out and others are taken in by it and they become like and so we take the message that has charged us up, that has changed us. We take it out in the community. We take it into work. We, we take it e even to our family so that they can experience what we've experienced. That's sweet. We got to deal with some people thinking we stink. Some people are going to think it. They've always thought it. It could be worse. They could be trying to kill you. We ain't having to deal with that directly, are we? Though some are. Though some are. But it doesn't make the truth not true. That's why we need courage. That's why we need compassion. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that we learn from it, Lord God, and all that we experience in it. That we see what we need in this life and that it all comes from you. And Lord, we know and understand that this task is always going to, we're always going to feel like uh, we're always going to feel like what we read in Corinthians. Who's adequate for this? How in the world can I do this? And the answer is we cannot. Uh, on, on our own, Lord, we cannot. We're always going to be overwhelmed by your mission because it's your mission and not ours, which means it requires your power, something we do not possess on our own. And I, but I thank you. I thank you that you would use the likes of us to spread, to diffuse the aroma of the knowledge of Christ into every place, into every place so that there would be some who would uh, who, that, that scent would hit their senses and it's going to smell good and they're going to receive and they're going to in you be changed and they're going to walk with you the rest of their life and know they're going to know peace and they're going to know truth. I thank you, Lord, that we'll be able to endure those that think we stink, knowing that they may not always think that away. They may not always think that away. We turned our nose up at you for a long time before we believed. And I thank you for the patience and the steadfastness of those who, who you sent to be alongside of us, Lord, that we wouldn't despise those times. And we'll trust you with the difference. As we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with one another. Lord, I pray for those who aren't able to be here with us today because they're weak and sick in their body. And we ask you to heal them. We ask you to strengthen them first on the inside, that the spirit on the inside of them will sustain them even in physical weakness. And Lord, we ask that you restore them from that in Jesus name. Lord, to stop the spread of these things that are afflicting us and hurting us. Lord, that there's healing in, in your name and we pray that over them in the name of Jesus. 
that you protect us as we go through this week, that you preserve us, sustain us, and uphold us with your strong right hand. And Lord, that we will go through this week aware of you and acknowledging you in all of our ways so that you will direct our paths, that we'll see that you have us where we are on purpose and for a purpose, and we won't despise that. What we will sincerely, as from you and to you, engage in where we are. And Lord, for for, for those who are without peace and without hope, that they'll find in you, they'll find in you a sweet-smelling aroma of life leading to life. We love you and we thank you. 